Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with designer Jim Kalbach. We talk about mapping experiences, creating shared value, and what he thinks about design thinking. Enjoy the show. Jim, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Mary. It's great to be here. Um, I'd love for you to start off by telling me and the audience a little bit about your story and how you found your way into design and what you currently do. Sure. Um, I studied uh, library and information science um, at school, and that gave me, uh, back then, when I was studying, uh, contact with, um, you know, the web and building websites. Um, so my background um, is, is in digital product design, and I, I've been working for over 18 years in UX and design-related roles. Um, I really got started professionally, though, um, during the dot-com boom in Germany, where I was living and working, and I worked for a couple of agencies. Um, and I got quickly into uh, Razorfish at the time um, in around 99 or 2000 as an information architect. So that really fit well with my background as a, you know studying information science. So I got into design kind of through the IA path, um, but I was looking at um, you know usability and interaction design and a whole range of things that I got experience at um, in, in subsequent roles, both internal and external. So I've worked for internally for big B2B companies and I've con- d- done work as you know, at an agency side for B2C efforts as well, too. Um, I've also done a lot of user research, um, not just usability testing, but also kind of contextual inquiry and deeper user research as well, too. And that's what, what really got me in touch with mapping and mapping experiences. About eight or nine years ago, um, I had the opportunity to do um, a whole series of projects where I was creating various types of, of maps. Um, and that really got me kind of into um, thinking about strategy and the strategic side of of design in general. Um, now I'm the head of customer success at a startup called Mural. And Mural is an online whiteboard. It's a digital whiteboard. Um, you can access it um, right through your browser or one of our apps. Um, and it gives you a virtual space that you can use to collaborate with others visually. So if you think about uh, anything that you would want to do on a whiteboard, a physical whiteboard with a colleague, you can do in our app remotely. And it's really for remote teams to, to do design thinking and brainstorming and a lot of the upfront design activities that you really need to visualize. It allows you to do that um, remotely, and that's a that's quite a different role. So I've kind of moved out of product and you know digital product design, and now I'm a little bit more in the customer experience side of thing, looking at the overall service and and uh, overall customer success. Excellent, excellent. So you wrote the book, um, Mapping Experiences. Can you talk a little bit more about um, what prompted you to write it? Um, beyond, you know, your own experiences and what the benefits of mapping experiences are. Yeah, sure. Like I mentioned, um, I had a, a whole bunch of uh, practical experiences, um, some projects about uh, eight, eight or nine years ago, looking at various forms of diagrams, workflow diagrams, mental model diagrams, customer journey maps, and more. So I, I had a lot of practice doing that. And I made a lot of mistakes as well, too. So I learned along the way. And um, in doing that project work, uh, I had been doing a lot of research as well as writing and speaking on the, on the topic, um, including the, a full day workshop that I eventually developed uh, about five years ago on mapping experiences. Um, so I had been I had a lot of practical experience and I had been thinking about the topic for quite a long time. So it made sense that I put those thoughts down in a book. And, um, I, you know, I like to I like to instruct and teach and help other people learn as well, too. So it really felt uh, good and almost natural that I that I would uh, come to the conclusion to, to write that book. So I was quite happy to do that. And, it, you know, in, in inter- interacting with students and, and people in the field around that topic for um, 
quite a, a period of time, uh, I kind of debugged my thinking as well, too. And I, I knew what questions were going to come up and I knew how to present things. So I felt like I had a curriculum and I had a message um, and it just really made sense to kind of put that all down in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I've learned I've I've learned, again, sometimes the hard way what, you know, the ins and outs of mapping experiences and some of the benefits. And I think I think, at you know, at one level, you know, I think they help you see your product in a different light and they point to opportunities for improvement and things like that. But I'm really focused in the book on a on a broader function of this type of activity. And it is a broad activity that I talk about in the book. It's not about looking at a single app or piece of software. It's really looking about an end to end experience that that people have when they interact with a service or an organization. And, I, you know, the, the, the function of mapping in those broader contexts are really about helping organizations shift their mindsets from inside out, from seeing, you know, their own business from, from in, you know, inside and looking out towards customers to really looking at it from outside in. How do customers see our, our, our business? And, you know, that, that's kind of the more strategic function of the um, activity of mapping experience that I focus on in my book is really about helping organizations um, really see the world differently through the eyes of the customer to, to, to the degree possible. And that's just one tool that helps us do that. It's not it's not a silver bullet. And there's other things that people do like, you know, personas and other types of research and other types of activity. So I think it I fits in with, uh, with a range of things that we're doing to help us really understand the complexity of end-to-end experience. And I talk about value alignment in the book because it's really about creating how, do, how does an organization create value and how does that value perceived by the customers? Because sometimes the value that we think we're creating isn't perceived that way. So it's really about that outside in perspective. So it really starts by aligning to the outside the towards the customer perspective. And that's a collective alignment. It doesn't matter if you know one, one user researcher, there's one business stakeholder who has that perspective. It's really about is the team aligned? So I really talk about two levels of alignment in the book. And that one is aligning the perspective towards the customer, but then it's getting on the same page as a team. Um, and that's really a, a, a key function, I think, of, of, the, um, of the diagramming, of creating these visualizations. And they are, it's, you know, it's the visual aspect of it that brings people together. Um, so the diagram is important, but it won't magically give you the answers. The diagram is a compelling artifact that draws various people in to have conversations, to have the same conversation, but from a customer-centric standpoint. So ultimately, it's about the, it's about the process. It's, a, it's about the verb mapping. And it's not necessarily about the noun map. The map is important, but it's really about how do you use that to engage people in observing and researching customers? And then how do you use that diagram to engage people to come up with solutions and innovations afterwards? So it's really the whole thing. And that's what I try to focus on in my book. That's awesome. It's, um, it's such a vital communication tool, both internally and externally. And I hadn't really thought about it until I read your book. So, I mean, and anybody can use it. I mean, that's the other piece of it. It is, you know, designers obviously find or people on product teams or service teams find it helpful. But I honestly believe everybody in organizations should go through the, the exercise. Yeah, yeah, and that you know, that's I, I, I talk about them as compelling um, artifacts, and it's not just that they look good and that they're visualizations. It's that I often find that almost any role or function in an organization can find themselves in the diagram. So um, very often, you know, we have very specific, you know, product development conversations, which are totally good, but they're not interesting to sales and marketing mm-hmm. or to customer support, for instance. And and likewise, you know, there are sales 
and marketing conversations that aren't interesting to, to engineers. But the experience map is something where usually everybody can find themselves in and say, oh, that's where I fit in. And I have an opinion there. And it's really bringing those various perspectives together that I think is the, and it might be a tacit you know, effect, but that, that's the effect of the map is that you're able to have those conversations across the silos in the organization. Because ultimately the customer experience crosses silos, but our organizations have those silos. So it's about how can you foster those conversations that everybody participates in? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Interesting. So I want to turn it to a personal um, side of things. Are there experiences, bad customer experiences that you've had that you say, boy, they could have benefited from mapping experiences? <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, totally. And I think I think we all have those all the time. And it's, you know, it's particularly noticeable as a consumer of a product or a service when you're moving from one service touch point to another. Um, you know, just just thinking of a recent experience I had, I was filing filing a claim with my health insurer, with my health provider for international service. I had to see a doctor while I was traveling overseas. And I swear I filed the same form of in, with the same information about a dozen times. And I was thinking, how many times do you need to know my name and policy number? You know, don't, don't you already, first of all, don't you already know that? But I, you know, I was required to, you know, just fill out these forms. And, and I got the sense every time a new, you know, my case went to a new department, they were coming back to me and saying, okay, what's, what, you know, what are the details of the, of the situation? And I had to kind of repeat that instead of looking at how they could have continuity from my experience as a consumer, how could they create that continuity internally? Um, and, you know, this kind of thing happens in government as well, too when you're dealing with government agencies, um, speaking with a local government uh, where I live, you know, they were talking about the, the, the application process to uh, start a new business in, in the city where I live. Um, and there, again, there's different departments and different processes, but there's, you know, like six discrete phases that you have to go through and it and becomes hurdles and hoops. Um, if you're if you want to start up a business, you'll persevere, but it's not necessarily a great experience. You know, another example, too, I was speaking recently um, to an educational developer. She developed e-learning courses and programs, and she wanted to look at how students not only consume the, the curriculum, the material that, that she was designing, but, how, you know, what do they do before? How do they even get online and how does that affect their learning situation? So, again, it's anytime we're looking at these, these kind of broad end-to-end -end situation and there are multiple touch points and, and multiple types of interactions, which we're seeing in Increasing, right? When we talk about the Internet of Things um, and you know the digitalization of, of services, uh, just the, nu the number the number of interactions that we have and the possible channels by which we can communicate with an organization is increasing. So these the experiences start to get fractured more and more. And um, there's there's no I don't think there's any one organization that's completely nailed it. In, in other words, it's just a constant optimization to try to smooth that out for for the consumers. But um, I, I I hope listeners can sympathize. <laughs> with some of the stories that I told and you can probably think about your own experience with an airline or something like that where you got different information from different people at different times and your experience um, wasn't necessarily coherent. Right, right. Well, it certainly has forced me to look at the world differently <laughs> after reading your book, for sure. <laughs> um, so if I'm, I'm a designer new to experience mapping, where do I get started? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I get that question asked all the time. I think there are I think there are a number of challenges. Um, and one challenge that um, I, I think confronts many or most designers is just finding the bandwidth or the demand for it. Um, they don't they don't have the clients who are asking for that, or if they're you know working internally, they don't they don't have the the room to do, to do the uh, to do the exercise. So um, it, often it's about getting getting a project off the ground and. You know, one thing that I that I did that really helped me was to um, associate, you know, a mapping like effort with another research project, for instance. So if you are doing some customer interviews, one way that you can summarize that information is in the form of a diagram, because very often what I find is that stakeholders or others in the organization don't realize they they can benefit from mapping experiences until it's done. So it's kind of a chicken or an egg thing. And really what you need to have is that that ke- that test case um, to be able to show hey, here's, here's how I could help you with this type of activity uh, on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, um, though, I do see demand in, uh, rising um, that clients and, and business stakeholders are actually asking UX teams more and more, um, I'm finding with the people that I talk to, um, to, to create uh, user journey maps or experience maps of, of various kinds. So, so I think that's a good thing. So I think it's a skill that um, you, you either need to kind of grow yourself or if someone's asking for you, you need to, you need to uh, kind of figure out how you're going, you're going to go about it. And I think the first question there is determine, you know, if you, if you really do need a, um, a map or a diagram. And these tend to be in larger organizations um, with, with more complex service offerings. If you're working in a small startup with five people and you have one product, you know, the map may be implied and it may be kind of understood across that team. But if you have a large organization with lots of departments that may not even be sitting together, um, that, you know, those types of situations demand. So so, so first figure out if you really need it. And then um, just a final point here, I think there are five questions that you need to ask. And I recently just wrote a blog post on this. It's included in my book, but I've summarized that in a blog post where I, I reiterate those five questions that I think you need to ask uh, when you get started. Um, and the first one is, what's your point of view? Um, a map isn't, uh, you know, it's only a representation or an ab- abstraction of the world. You're not going to map everything about everybody's experience in, in one diagram. And you need to really sit down and say, what's my point of view? Whose experience and which experiences am I targeting? Then you need to scope it. When does it begin and end? Which, you know, the, the, the idea of an experience is really fuzzy. Um, and it's really only by definition that we can say, oh, it's, you know, the experience begins here and ends there. You also need to uh, um, ask yourself, what are you going to focus on? Um, which aspects of the experience? Is it is it the emotional experience? Is it the, you know, the, the journey with mobile um, interactions? Um, and, and these are all up to the map maker to decide. Um, and also, how are you going to structure and represent the information? That is, create the, create the actual diagram and the representation. And finally, how are you going to put it to use? And that's what we were talking about before, is how are you going to engage a team with that? And that affects how you actually create it as well, too. So the five questions are, what's your point of view? What's the scope? What's the focus? How are you going to structure the information and how are you going to put it to use? That's awesome. I'll, I'll include a link um, in the blog post to your blog post. So another question I have for you is, you know, the world, at least the tech world is a flutter with um, all talk of bots and voice. And I'd love to hear your perspective on whether or not you think that's changing uh, designers approach to mapping. 
Yeah. I think it changes designers' approach to designing products and services, but I don't think it changes the approach to mapping at all. In fact, in, in my book, I have a what I call a general process um, for looking at, at um, how we go about mapping experiences. And that has four, four phases of effectively. I don't like to think of them as phases because they're not necessarily linear. And I actually talk about modes of thinking in my book because you may go, go back and forth between them. But it's really about initiating the effort. And that's answering those five questions that I just talked about, along with some other um, details um, about doing some kind of investigation. So you want to observe the world, talk to people, collect information. Um, any diagram should be grounded in reality. Um, you don't just want to make them up. And it's often that grounding in reality where you find the spark of innovation or that un overlooked, uh, unmet need. Um, then you need to illustrate um, in the third phase, you need to illustrate the, the picture, the model of the world that you want to communicate to others. Um, and then you need to activate that and you, you need to align teams and envision the future around the diagram. So initiate, investigate, illustrate, and then uh, align and envision. And I think if you're talking about voice activated or bots or any other kind of new technology, we could talk about watches or Internet of Things. I believe your approach to mapping will fundamentally be the same at that level. Um, and I take each one of those and break them down uh, it per, uh, one per chapter. So there's quite a, quite a bit of detail. And I talk about it in a general way so that regardless of your situation and the, the target that you're, you're going for, you can still um, kind of follow along those, those steps. I think then what, you, what, what comes out of the exercise, and that's, that's, again, that's really important, is not just, you know, can we draw a picture of the customer experience and all understand it together as a team? It's the question is, so now what do we do? And I think that the answer to that question will be different based on the technology and the situation. But the process of, of mapping, I don't think changes necessarily with, with technology. In fact, if you're focused too much on the technology in your mapping, then it's not it's not really capturing experience at kind of the human level. Mm -hmm. um, so a map of the experience is really looking at the human condition, not at um, a specific technology. That is a really great point and a good reminder. Um, so the next couple of questions I really um, would love your take on because you've worked at large enterprises as well. And so, um, you know, we often hear that design has arrived, quote unquote. Um, and with this comes increased responsibility and visibility. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you see as the next set of challenges for designers given all of this. Yeah, um, I, I guess we could argue maybe semantically if design has arrived or not. Um, <laughs> let, let, let's let's just say it has, uh, and I and uh, which I'm which I would agree with from for the most part. Um, I think design has arrived, and um, on the one hand, uh, we've been waiting for it for a very long time. Um, but on the other hand, I think we're also um, to some degree, you know caught in the in the headlights of a car like a deer as well too because now it's like oh now we have to fit in the organization in a different way um, and I think uh, so the movement that I see that I talk about is design moving from uh, observers of the world uh, I think that's part of being a designer is understanding the human condition as I was talking about and being able to model that in and then you know the other the other thing that designers are typically great at is crafting solutions right we're innovative we're we're, we're uh, design thinkers, we're creative people, and we craft solutions. But I think I think what this, you know, the idea of design has arrived, I think what it what it does is it moves us into leadership positions. Um, and what I talk about in my book quite a bit is about facilitating. So I think, you know, being facilitators of higher level conversations, and by that I mean strategic conversations at the business level, or, you know, helping
making or contributing to business decisions. And, and it's not necessarily making those decisions. So I think the seat at the table that we've been clamoring for isn't about having a vote or, you know, the ability to decide. It's about the ability to contribute to those decisions. And, and sometimes that takes that that takes facilitation. It may not be our decision, but we have to help people facilitate that that decision as well, too. So ultimately, I see mapping experience as just one tool. Again, it's just one. It's just one tool in a lot of other things that we're doing. But it's a tool that that elevates us to become facilitators um, in in a broader discussion in the organizations that we work for and with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I have to ask this question because I just love asking it. <laughs> What's your take on the the term design thinking? Design thinking, uh, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it, I guess. Um, I, I think it's a brilliant way to kind of package up decades of thinking and writing on user-centered design and human-centered design. Um, you know, there's been academic studies and literature and practical books written on topics that are subsumed by the term design thinking. So it's not new. What I what I think is new is the way that that positions it for non-designers to consume design design um, kind of perspectives and mindsets. Um, so that's the that for me that's the brilliant part of it that it, it makes things tangible. I think to non-designers that they understand it. It also makes things repeatable as well too. So um, kind of demystifies this this black box of create creativity or you know somehow designers have a magic wand and nobody knows what it is um well it's it's actually just it's actually just a lot of hard work and a lot of iteration um and you know going going through things in your mind or on paper or with a team over and over at different levels of, of abstraction um and i think it's that abstract part of design that sometimes people don't want to engage with or can't engage with and what design thinking does is it kind of takes it out of that magic box of of design and says, here, actually, anybody can learn how to do this, which isn't to say anybody, everybody can be a designer. Like, I still think designing is a craft and it's a specialty that you can study and work on a career for years and years and years. It's a lifetime endeavor. But it does help people solve problems from a, a similar mindset. And that's really what I, for, for me, design thinking is really not what designers do. I always say designers design. Uh, design thinking is a way to apply that type of thinking to other problems. So we use design thinking to solve business problems or we use design thinking to solve marketing problems right obviously it's you know we use that to solve service design challenges as well too but really what design thinking does in my in my opinion is it kind of it kind of demystifies that that uh, you know that magical wand that they think designers have um, and and just really shows hey it's just a lot of hard work and uh, I think it also um, it, it's also a good way to confront uncertainty a lot of people are uncertain when they enter in creative creative endeavors um, designers feel comfortable with un- uncertainty, I think you have to be to be a designer because you don't know what you're going to end up with at the end of the day. Um, and that, so some people, that's kind of scary. And I think what design thinking does is it gives them a framework to feel comfortable to say, it's okay if you don't know the answer, we're going to show you a way that you can consistently get get an, an, an answer, even if you don't know what that outcome is before you get started. So, um, you know, design thinking, I think kind of the hate the hate part of design thinking is it's not really hate. Um, that's a, that's a that's an exaggerated term, but it's kind of like, hey, we've been doing this for a long time. This you know this this isn't necessarily new. Um, but the love part of it is I think it's just a brilliant way to package things up. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So when you're researching for your own work, what resources do you use? Yeah, um, no, that's a great question. And I did do quite a bit of research for the book. Not not tons, not like PhD thesis level research. Um, but I had been looking at the fields around mapping experiences and related terms and techniques for quite a long time. Um, but for the book, I actually 
I dug down a little bit more, um, and that's part of that's part of the way that I that I approach problems, and that's part of the way that I write. I like to point to a lot of other resources, um, so I'm always happy to cite things. And in the book, I include uh, lists of uh, resources that I find particularly valuable at the end of each chapter as well, too. So um, I, I had been looking uh, mostly online, but um, you know, looking even at ac academic papers um, and things like that. And I even ordered a book from 1972 because I found a, a reference, a mention of a map in this book from 1972. And it was, uh, from what I can tell from my research, the, the first or one of the earliest examples of what we might call a customer journey map. Um, so I actually got a book sent home and I, and I scanned that in and included that in, in my book as well, too. So uh, mostly I was looking online, but, you know, popular resources, academic resources. And then in, in some limited examples, I was even looking at like printed pages and books. <laughs> You went completely old school. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, on a personal note, what projects um, or people are grabbing your attention these days? Yeah, um, th I'm, you know, there's a lot out there, right? <laughs> Particularly in Silicon Valley and the tech world, things are changing really quickly. Uh, but one of the things that really grabbed my attention uh, recently, uh, a few years ago, but I'm, I've kind of renewed my interest in it, is a concept called shared value. Um, and shared value is a concept that uh, Michael Porter, the famous mm -hmm. um, strategist, uh, Harvard Business Review professor, he literally wrote all of the classic volumes on business strategy. Um, the concept of shared, va shared value is something that he pioneered, um, I think it was 2012, um, kind of articulated in a landmark article in the Harvard Business Review called Creating Shared Value. Um, and basically what he's saying is um, it's, 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 a, it's a fascinating point of view from, from him because you wouldn't expect it from him, but he's, I think he's really, um, you know, got, got, got the next thing in strategy, which is um, kind of the traditional ways of looking at business strategy and differentiating yourself and, and gaining competitive advantage in the marketplace. Basically, we kind of know all of those and we've kind of tapped those out, right? Not, which isn't to say um, those won't help your business, but he's, he's thinking about what's the next thing. And what he's saying is it's not about, you know, companies aren't solely about maximizing profit anymore. It's about ma maximizing profit and contributing something back to society. But it's not because, um, you know, it's not not because he wants to do, he's not a do-gooder. He's saying that's where that's where companies are leaving money on the table. So it's actually strategic and a business move that he's saying we have to not only think about the products and the services that we um, deliver and what the competitive advantage of those are, but also how are we creating those? Who are we partnering with? What are the materials that we're sourcing that with? What's the environmental and educational and societal impact of, of the way that we do business? And that you can turn that into competitive advantage. And I had the fortune of attending the Shared Value Conference uh, here in New York City, just uh, across the river from where I live. Um, it was a two-day event where they brought in some of the top business leaders to talk about how they're rethinking their business models or, you know, experimenting with um, kind of re-reimagined versions of their business models to have not just stakeholder value or shareholder value, but shared value. So I think this idea of moving from sh um, shareholder value, you know, maximizing your bottom line to shared value? How do we maximize the bottom line and contribute back to society? Uh, I think that's just a fascinating movement. And uh, I've been um, reading up on that and attending those conferences. Uh, it's to totally interesting to me right now. Oh, wow. That sounds exciting. I mean, that is certainly a transformation we're seeing with a lot of tech companies. But I think um, 
I imagine there's there's many more outside of of the tech community that are thinking along those lines. Yeah, I think it might be you know for a startup or a small tech company, you you, you can you can uh, in, in, incorporate that type of thinking into your business model from the start. But if you have a, a you know if you're an industry or, or a larger um, organization that's been around for a long time um, and functioning you know uh, successfully business wise you know in terms of profit and shareholder value and things like that, th- this is a this is a real new concept. And again, it's, it's it's the next strategic advantage. It's not about doing good for society. It's really about this is how you need to think in the future and survive. And there's lots of reasons why. And it's it's a very dynamic, uh, it's a very dynamic topic. The thing that's interesting for me is that um, a lot of the people that I talk to at the conference are doing things like journey mapping and mapping experiences, because that's how they're able to look at how they can create a different type of value and how the value chains interlock with human concerns or societal concerns as well well too. So my hope is that, you know, um, the idea of shared value also uh, provides this broader uh, benefit and relevance of mapping experiences. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really had a, a good time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can reach Jim through his Twitter handle at Jim Callback. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn so you never miss an episode.